experience Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania in 3D. Scott Lang, you have a daughter. You're an Avenger. But down here, you're out of your league. On February 17th. Kang's a monster. He can shatter existence. An Avenger. I don't care what he can do. I'm getting us home. Must face a conqueror. You may not want her to watch this. Yeah! I'm sorry, Cassie. Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Experience it in 3D. February 17th. Rated PG-13. May be inappropriate for children under 13. Hi, and welcome to Deep Dive with Jamie Stein, where we take a deep dive look at all things reality TV, pop culture, and the world at large. I'm an intuitive and an empath, which means I pick up on the thoughts, feelings, and energy percolating in other people and the world around me. I believe there is meaning waiting to be found at every turn, if you're willing to see it. So join me as we dismantle everything from trash TV to high spiritual concepts and learn more about ourselves, each other, and how we're all connected. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Deep Dive with Jamie Stein. And a little bit of a detour today. Today is going to be Scam Artist Sunday or Scam Sunday for short. And we're going to get into some of the recent docuseries that has been taking Netflix and the nation, perhaps even the world by storm. We're going to get into Bad Vegan. We're going to get into Tinder Swindler. We're going to touch base on Anna Delvey. And who better to navigate these dark psychological waters with me than a woman who I have to imagine would not be swindled anytime soon because she's a tough New Yorker with a strong point of view and you can't get one over on her. Please welcome friend of the podcast and host of Hot Takes and Deep Dives, Jess Rothschild. Hi, Jess. Hi, thank you. And I thought you were about to sort of compare me to these people. I'm like, are you putting me in the same company as like these swindlers? I could feel you hesitating as I started to talk about your appropriateness for this episode. Look, it was just my somewhat graceful way of segueing into your introduction. But I do, it is hard for me to imagine you being taken in by someone like Shane on the Bad Vegan or the Tinder Swindler. I don't see you forking over 30 grand to someone who's in a quote-unquote emergency that you just met. Do you know why? Why? Because I'm not an idiot. Unlike everyone featured in all of these docuseries. That is the common thread. These are the portrait of an idiot. I know that's such a loaded comment. And I'm like, is that is that where we're starting? Is that where we're starting with this? Is this the jumping off point? I mean, why don't we start with the Tinder Swindler? Because I know that you freshly watched that. And I guess my initial question for you would be, basically, all of these women were conned by this guy. They were seduced into a relationship in under 30 days, into which they are wiring this guy 30 grand over and over again, each of them repeating the same process. What is it with women and men? There's something going on there. There's a relationship between women and men. And is it that a woman, the status of having a man overpowers everything, even logic, common sense, and their own bank account? Well, again, I mean, look, this is a complex question because there are different individuals, and I do think the flavor of it's different for everyone. And I know you're specifically bringing in Tindler Swindler right now. And I want to say, like, to me, the women in Tinder Swindler 
feel different to me than, say, Sarma in Bad Vegan. And even the two primary protagonists in Tinder Swindler, what I think is interesting is that one of them was in a romantic relationship and one of them, it was a platonic friendship, which actually was very striking to me. I agree that was interesting. I will say to your point, it's interesting that you kind of came in with what I'll call a judgment, right? That these women are all idiots because Tinder Swindler did cause me to question my own response, particularly to the main protagonist. Forgive me, I don't remember her name. She, I think she was from Norway originally. But, you know, long story short, guy on Tinder presenting himself as this sort of rich, like billionaire heir to a diamond fortune and basically kind of created the equivalent of like a social Ponzi scheme where he's seducing women into this sort of fairy tale relationship. And then he's creating these very larger than life circumstances as to why he needs to borrow money from one woman, which then goes to pay for the next escapade with the next woman and so on and so forth. But sort of going back to where we had started, I think as far as that first woman goes, oh, right, I was talking about kind of reflecting on my own judgment of her because it's true, you know, obviously I do a lot of work navigating the human condition with people. So I consider myself someone certainly who's very empathetic and very compassionate to the types of choices we all make as flawed human beings. What I will say, what can be hard for me personally, because I am very intuitive and because I do tend to be a very good judge of character, one thing that can be difficult for me is to understand when people just ignore these huge red flags, you know, and take action that sort of goes against every fiber of what, again, there's a presumption here, what I would call common sense. And it's interesting because I realize when they get to the part where the women sort of successfully exposed Simon, the Tinder swindler, and they put their stories out there, and then they were talking, they were showing sort of the comments of, you know, people who were reading the article and just how vicious they were towards the woman, which, you know, to be clear, no, I, I did not have that flavor of viciousness towards her at all. But when I saw those comments and just, you know, oh, you're stupid, you're a gold digger, you're this, you're that. And then seeing how it impacted her, I really did have this moment of looking at myself and realizing like, oh, wow, I've really been, I've been hard on her while I've been watching this. Like I have had a subtle flavor of judgment towards her in the place of like, that would never happen to me. And on some level, I don't know if it's you're to blame for this. It's not that she's to blame for it, but on some level, I do kind of hold you responsible for making these decisions in the first place, which I do want to say I do believe in self-responsibility. And we can look at almost every situation in our lives and reflect, like, what was my part in this? And I do have things to say specifically about her in relationship to that. But I also think there's a difference between that and kind of the flavor of judgment that has been brought in from the top of like, you know, again, you saying these people are idiots, me kind of sitting there being like, I would never fall for that. And like, I kind of, you know what it was? It was like when she would cry and talk about how it ruined her life. I realized when it got to the vicious comments, there was a subtle part of me that was rolling my eyes at her when she was saying that. And I just thought that was interesting to like look at myself in my own response to her. And it made me start thinking about my own relationship to what it means to sometimes being a victim, 
you know, and do I judge that part of myself? Because like anyone and everyone, there are situations in my life where certainly I've been what you could call victimized, but I stand in work that's very much about not feeling like a victim, taking responsibility for what you create in your life. So I always tend to really stay away from anything that casts myself in the roles of the victim. And I mean, this might be a total digression that I'm going on right now, but I will say the Tinder swindler, it created this moment for me where I kind of took a step to the side and looked at my own relationship to what does it mean to me to be victimized and do I have a judgment about that? And is there a way that I find myself getting, you know, maybe a little unfairly judgmental towards women like that woman who made these choices? You know, when you framed it as I know that I came in with like they're idiots and uh, yes, like on the surface, like I mean, when I was watching it, I remember because I watched this a few when it when it first came out and 100% like I was texting the people who told me to watch it like I cannot believe that they're it like I was using that language and all of my friends were like I know like that they were reflecting that back when you framed it as ignoring red flags I started to sort of take a step back and be like okay if we look at it through that lens what is the mindset of somebody who just wouldn't notice red flags or just ignore them. Like they, there's that expression painting red flags green. Yeah. And I think this is getting to the crux of like your sort of initial question. I mean, I think and why in some ways I consider these mediocre documentaries, because there were definite things that first woman said that for me, again, as someone who kind of does this work with people were red flags like that I would want to ask her about. So, you know, when she says things like like so first of all the fact that simon in his text messages was saying to her things like thank you so much for coming through for me with this money essentially something to the effect of you've proven that you're gonna be there for me through thick and thin and you truly are the worthwhile like woman for me i was like oh that was a flavor of the conversation because for me you know like if i'm in a burgeoning relationship right and someone's asking me for help and to be of support to them, whether it's, you know, involves money or not. If they start talking to me in terms of you're proving your worth as Jamie, that's a huge red flag. Like I'm sitting there like, no, no, no. <laughs> like I don't need to prove my worth to you. Like I'm doing this from my own sense of like, yeah, being in a relationship with you or whatnot, but like this isn't a test. So the fact for me, that that first woman was even willingly participating in an overarching construct where she believed she on some level had to prove herself to this guy. I think that says a lot right there. And I think, you know, and she she basically acknowledges, I think she wanted to believe in the fantasy. And I think she was clinging to this thing working out. And the other thing I'll sort of say right off the top, too, is, you know, this is a woman who hopped on a private plane to a foreign country with a guy that she just met. Now, again, I'm overly cautious. You know, I grew up reading true crime. You know, like true crime is not, this is not a new thing for me. Like I've been on this, this train for decades. So I've just always been that person who's aware of the possibilities. So I'm never getting on a private jet with someone I just met. But what, wait, tell me why. Because I know that there is things like sex trafficking and I know there's things like kidnapping. And to me, in this situation where if I've met someone online and it's the first time I'm meeting them and they're like, come on my private jet with me, to me as Jamie, that just feels fishy. It feels compulsive. You know, one thing I'll say, it's like, it's interesting to me 
there's a lot of conversation now about like what it means to date a narcissist. And there's a lot of conversation now about like, they love bomb you. And it's so interesting to me that when people talk about love bombing, they say it in this way where it's like the love bomber's fault. And it's this toxic trait of the love bomber. But I'm, and again, talking about red flags, I'm sort of sitting there saying, yeah, but if you fell for the love bomb, where is your responsibility in that? Because I'm telling you again, like if someone love bombs me, Jamie, I'm like, this is too much, too fast, too soon. And something doesn't feel right about it. So if I'm going along, like if someone I've just met, boom, who I know nothing about, wants to take me on this private jet, I'm thinking this is a little too soon, too fast. Something's off. Plus, I know, yeah, I could be kidnapped. I could be sex trafficked, whatever it is. I'm not getting on that plane. Again, I want to acknowledge I'm overly cautious. So I'm not saying that's the right way. I understand there are people who are more spontaneous than me who, you know, fly by their seat of the pants. That's great. I could probably use some of that. But I do think it's interesting that she was someone who was willing right away to step on that private jet and really wanted this to work out. I think it's so funny because I was just having this conversation about love bombers with somebody and a person like you, the love bombing would never work. Like it would never gain any traction. But with something in the case of like the Tinder swindler or even something like if you look at like Teresa and Louie or Vicky and Brooks, they were willing participants because they wanted the love bombing. There are people who like it. So then you're entering into, like you say, like a social construct, like you're entering into kind of a relationship in which two people are into that thing. So therefore, it's not really love bombing. I would call it something else. Well, and I guess this just all comes back to how you view relationship. And then this was something else that struck me watching the Tinder Swindler, because she says right from the beginning, I grew up watching Beauty the Beast and some part of me wanted that. And again, I was just I, I wished I could talk to her in that moment because I was so curious about her definition of relationship, you know, because it's like. It's a Disney movie, and the whole notion of how that movie ends is the happily ever after. And I think, as we all know, you know, that is the stuff of fairy tale and fantasy. And relationships are, I mean, certainly they should feel rewarding. You know, the net value should feel positive or negative in terms of how it enriches your life. But I think we all know relationships are consistent hard work. I think even from a spiritual perspective, we bring in people where we're going to challenge each other, like our heads are going to butt, hopefully in ways where if we accept the invitation, it'll help us to both grow and evolve through the relationship. So for me, even the fact that she was kind of coming into this with a template of a Disney fantasy and and sort of wanting that for herself. Again, it's my perspective. So this is just how I see things. And maybe this isn't right for her. But I would kind of want to invite her to maybe look at how she's defining relationship and romance. What is she clinging to? And is she creating space and room for a happy ending that isn't like the fairy tale happily ever after where some Prince Charming is going to come in and rescue her, but is instead going to be a mutually matched relationship where they're both showing up in their humanity and their love and their flaws. And it's something they're going to work on over time. And there's going to be ups and there's going to be downs. I think the main thing that's coming to me in this moment is intuitively, Jess, like just bottom line, like to put a button on it, a situation where she's not going to be rescued from something. And that's kind of the flavor I get from her specifically. I think she was waiting for someone to come in, 
change her life, rescue her in a certain way. And that's sort of what made her susceptible to like, this is the thing. And now I've got to ignore all the red flags and prove my worth and cling because I finally found the thing that I think is going to save me. When in reality, nothing can really save her. The work for her is to understand, well, one, save her from what? And two, why does she have an image she needs saving? And three, what does it mean for her if she surrenders this idea that something, aka in her case, a man, is going to come in and save her? I want to ask you, like in each of these different cases, and I know I, I can kind of like summarize the dropout for you or summarize, you know, the Elizabeth Holmes story for you. But basically, you know, they're all sort of con artists in a way. And I want to know, like, is there a point at which they know it's over? Or does the narcissism override that and they still think I'm not going to get caught? Or in the case of Anna Delvey, she literally like believed her own lies to a large extent. It's a good question. I I mean, obviously, this is all hypothesis on my part. I mean, based on what I've seen, and I actually am going to bring in Jen Shaw too. We were joking at the top of this. Oh, we'll bring in Jen Shaw. But it seems like, you know, I'm just thinking now about how Simon, the Tinder swindler, he was still ringing up that third woman, the one who helped ultimately get him arrested. He was ringing her up to the very end, you know, it, like not getting that, you know, she was on to him. So do you think it's a sense of denial? Because like, if you look at Jen Shaw, right, she is sort of acting as if this isn't even happening. It's as if she can't even deal with the reality. And she's just, oh, nope, camera's up for season three. It's like she's not dealing with the severity of what's going on. Neither was Anna Delvey. Like, if you really, like, dig into it, and I I mean, actually really loved Inventing Anna, to be honest. I know it, like, some people, you either, like, loved it or you hated it, but she, too, up until the very end, like, she treated the trial like a fashion show. Yeah, I mean, that's really been my sense of Jen Shaw. I, I, like, with Jen Shaw specifically, I think there's so much pride involved with her. You know, it'd be interesting to maybe feel around into some of the other ones and see if they have that same relationship to pride. But with Jen, it's always felt to me like there's so much pride involved in that she's bracing against humiliation and powerlessness. So for her, that it really is this experience of I'm digging in my heels. I've got my story. I'm sticking to it and nothing will make me budge. So that same kind of rebellious fire that I think was causing her to cheat the system in the first place and to pull one over, like, like she doesn't want to lose. You know, she wants to end up on top. She wants to get one over on the system. So yeah, my feeling with her has really been like, I've got my story. I'm sticking to it. Nothing or no one is going to get me to say anything otherwise. It, as I start to feel into it, it almost as her feels like almost like a matter of life and death. It's like she's clinging to a life raft. You will have to pry it out of her cold, dead, hard fingers. And so I think there is something that starts to happen where it's like it becomes the narrative that they cling to. And I think on a certain level, they start to really on a certain level, they start to really believe it. And maybe I can ride this to the end. You know what I mean? Like, maybe this really will get me through the charges. Maybe I will be acquitted. Like, it's almost also like kind of a last hope. Because you have to remember, these are scrappy, resourceful people. I mean, again, we saw like how Simon kept, you know, with the first woman, like he kept going back and he kept going back. And he he always has another excuse. And it was the same with Anna Delvey. It's like, oh, you're coming at me for the money? Like, 
oh, let me come up with another excuse and let me find a way to actually get you the money and to pay the bill. You know, Simon offers the fake role. Like these are people who are used to being in a corner. And I think they are so conditioned to the mentality of like, it ain't over till it's over. And there's always another chance. So I think when they are able to create these narratives around what's quote unquote really going on, like in the case of Jen Shaw, she's wrongfully persecuted and she's going to fight on behalf of everyone else who's been wrongfully persecuted. It's sort of like, I do think it has that flavor of like, I'm a scrappy fighter who like goes down to the end. And I'm like, again, I'm clinging to this to the very end. And to like let go of it would be to concede something that I am not willing to concede it's similar to me with erica jane you know even though i don't know she's got that same culpability as like these other con artists i mean we're seeing it in the trailer right she still refuses to kind of drop in in a human way towards what's happened in these victims and it's that same sense for me of i'm not admitting defeat i'm not giving you what you want yeah did you watch interviews with anna delvey by any chance yeah i saw some clips yeah what did you think of her she's so Interesting. She's both feel, and I, you know, this is actually my take on a lot of these people. She feels to me, just on first impression, like you were saying, both divorced from what she's done, even as she to some degree talks about taking responsibility for what she's done. And, and she has actually paid restitution. So let the record show she took the money she got from the Netflix documentary. She paid off her debts. Now, whether that's because she felt it was right in her heart to do so or because of the way it looks, who knows, but she did pay off her debts. And she claims, I mean, I don't want to get too far from your question. She claims all along, like she, it was never her intention to leave anyone hanging. And basically once she was going to get her foundation set up, she had every intention of paying people back. But the point I was making is like, it's like she pays lip service to an awareness of what she's done and why it's wrong. But it's like, I also feel she's not fully dropped into it you know it's there's a way in which she keeps herself divorced from the full thrust of her actions and her lying and her cheating and her stealing and and the impact it's had and the double-edged sword of it though is like when i hear her you know she has a lot to say because right now she got released from prison right and then they immediately like detained her again on deportation do you want to explain yes She's currently, I think she's currently like waiting or she like threw a fit like that she wasn't going to go. I'm not up on like where she's at today, like literally today, like because it changed like the other week. Oh, OK. Well, regardless, you know, I was reading some of her personal essays and, you know, she has a lot to say about ICE and she has a lot to say about this process. And when I'm reading through it, I'm like, you know, you actually I mean, you're making some interesting points. And so when I see her and when I hear her talk and I see the clips, it's this interesting experience where it's like. You don't feel fully here. You don't feel fully dropped into the full extent of what you've done. And yet at the same time, it's almost like there's something about the way that you're split that gives you this kind of interesting point of view. And I actually do think you're seeing things that are interesting and perceptive. And I'm, I'm interested in what you have to say. And then what's interesting for me just in taking that in is I'm like, Oh, and there's something really charming about you. Like you draw me in. Like I actually do want to go and listen to you on podcasts and I want to follow you on Instagram because you've got this kind of interesting point of view. And look, these are like fantasy makers. They know how to create a world. You asked me kind of what do I think when I see these interviews? It's like, it's yeah, it's just this interesting experience of I don't fully trust you. You don't feel totally safe. And yet I think there's a strange wisdom in you and I'm totally drawn into your compelling universe. Well, so I think the women 
are far more savvy than the Tindler Swindler was and Billy McFarlane, who the guy who did the fire festival, because the women were able to get these enormous investments. I mean, Anna Delvey almost got like 400 million from a bank. I was just far more impressed by the women. And maybe that's just like the feminine sort of maybe that there's something there to that. But yeah, the Simon just seemed really like he was just winning over like just like random women like they were scraping together a few thousand dollars to like give him and you know what i mean it was more than a few thousand dollars but i don't know that's why i'm still so drawn to the woman who didn't have a relationship with him but instead just considered him a friend and yet still gave him all that like all that money she was the one i was really intrigued i I felt much worse for her. And again, that might say something about me. And I totally acknowledge that. But, you know, just because she wasn't holding out for the Prince Charming fantasy, she wasn't holding out for like the happily ever after. I mean, she seemed to really want to show up for him as a friend. And I think that's sort of why it touches me because I'm like, God, that seems so sincere and earnest. Now, what I will say, and again, we don't have all the details, but like based on the timeline of the movie, I don't know how deep their friendship actually was at that point. I know she'd spent kind of one weekend or one week with him, I think, in Greece and his girlfriend. So you could say, again, from the point of view of red flags. Well, maybe she was just using him for the jet and the lifestyle. Friends do that all the time. They're social climb. That's what a social climber is. Yeah, it could be. It could be. I wish we could have gotten to know both these women more. I also wish we could have gotten to know Simon more, to be honest. I mean, that's, that was my issue with Bad Vegan as well. I, I mean, and I get the, the actual Connors aren't going to participate, but to at least go into their past to talk to people they knew, I just feel like we didn't really learn who Shane was. We didn't really learn who, we got one snippet of Simon's, you know, origin story when they went to the apartment and we met his mother, but I just wanted to know so much more about who these Connors were. And like I said, I would have love to know so much more about the women that he swindled it just feels like there's so many blanks that we're missing as far as yeah what would you give just from us from an entertainment if we look at these things from an entertainment value how would you compare chandler swindler to the bad vegan as like being good documentaries i mean to me they're very similar i feel like i mean look i'm a film snob so i feel like netflix kind of produces these sort of mediocre crime documentaries i'm telling you you have to watch fire fraud or something like that that you have to watch the fire festival documentary because that one is i think the success of the fire festival documentary on netflix is what inspired netflix to keep chasing these con artist stories because the fire one was so entertaining like they got subjects who had personality like it had a certain sheen to it and it had a sense of humor whereas i found the bad vegan to be nearly unwatchable like not a single charming element to any of the people like i found sarma to just be so incredibly dry like zero sense of humor i wasn't into that document i like kind of hated it actually i I don't even think i finished it like i couldn't really get through it taylor swindler was fine because it was just the documentary whereas bad vegan getting through like four or six episodes of that is pretty torturous 
Yeah, they definitely milked it for several episodes. I mean, what I enjoyed about Bad Vegan was just the fact that obviously we had like full access to Sarma's experience. And so given that she was so deeply entrenched with Shane, uh, whereas with Tinder Swindler, those women were kind of kept at arm's length from Simon. So at least with Bad Vegan, I felt like we had a real look into what was going on. And I also I really appreciated the recorded phone calls. I think just to kind of touch on the difference between the the different marks you know sarma was interesting to me though because obviously you know this was a self-made woman who was quite successful in her own right and i don't think that she was chasing the happy ending you know in the same way that the woman in tinder swindler was the vibe for me with sarma when i watched it well you didn't get to the end so well no no i know what happened i know what happened right but i'm about to refer to like specific footage they showed home phone footage of when they were like camped out in motel rooms and you know sarma would literally just be collapsed on the bed and shane was trying to motivate her to like go and run errands or do whatever they needed to do and she was like literally just curled up in a ball unable to motivate to leave and when i took her in to me it just really felt like the energy of addiction that's really how it landed with me like i felt like oh shane's her drug of choice this just feels like someone to me who doesn't want to be fully engaged in life and wants to check out somehow. And I almost feel like it could have been alcohol. I feel like it could have been heroin. Like I felt like instead though, it was this obviously this very draining relationship. And I think what's interesting about it is that she clearly is a seeker, you know, like she's got this spiritual bent. And I think that that really, you know, he was able to exploit that because he was kind of presenting her with possible answers i mean i've got more to say about that but yeah yeah i wanted to touch on this so they do touch on the theme that vegans are woo woo and like shane anthony and sarma are not of this earth they have a higher purpose obviously i am into spirituality but i felt like this was tapping into like the kind of wealthy goop style vibe which is like universally irritating when it comes to spirituality i felt like the way in which they were framing it and the way in which they were portraying them was playing into that goop style spirituality not actual spirituality well for sure i mean look obviously it wasn't real spirituality because you had a (laughs) you had a guy who was using it to you know basically feed his gambling addiction so no i mean he was not a vessel for real spirituality well okay so there's two things i want to say just just to complete the thought though about addiction the thing that i thought was so interesting about sarma was the fact that she really brought this relationship in right at the point where she was going to step into full ownership of that restaurant. So, you know, like her husband, were they married? Her original like partner, you know, they separated. She took on the debt. She was going to pay it back from that investor. And she was like right at this moment where things were going to take off for her. And she was going to be in real ownership of this thing that she created. So to me, looking at pattern, I don't think that that's a coincidence that that's the moment that she brought this guy in. Like I just experience her as someone. There's something, if I were working with her, there's something for Sarma about like, what does it mean for you to have full ownership of like your creative energy, the energy that wants to move through you to do it in a direct way. I can feel there's something in her that's like, it's not safe. I'm not allowed. I don't want to stand on my own two feet here. So again, let me just kind of like have an escape hatch. I think it could have been booze. I think it could have been drugs, but it happened to be this guy. Now, 
what you're speaking to, look, I don't know if this is me being too like soft or too easygoing. I, I think it's hard. I think, you know, we spoke about this on the Nexium episode that I did. It's like, I think a lot of people are seeking something and I don't think there are always places to go to get answers that are substantive, that are, you know, for lack of a better word, quote unquote, real. And I think, by the way, the more successful you get and the more surrounded you are by clout and money, the more kind of bullshit starts gravitating towards you because people want to take advantage of that. And so in that way, I kind of felt for Sarma because it's like, here's this woman who's clearly not fully committed to being here. (laughs) On some level, she's looking for an escape. She's also looking for deep spiritual answers. And then this guy comes along. And to be honest, I mean, I'm coming from the perspective that I think there's something actually brilliant about all these con artists. Like, I mean, their imagination and their creative energy is off the charts. And I'm always thinking, God, if you weren't doing this, like, what could you be doing with your lives in the world? Because you're so, they're powerful. They're they're powerful people. So, you know, this powerful guy comes along. And so, yeah, what I wanted to say about him is even though, I mean, everything he said felt crazy. And again, like, me, Jamie, am I going to fall for it if someone says, hey, I can keep your dog alive forever? Like, no, like the East Coaster in me is like, what, what the F are you talking about? But what I do want to say is there was something about the kind of picture that he was painting around what's possible and like other dimensions and like the way that he challenged her again. It was to selfish ends, but the way that he challenged her to kind of be willing to take leaps of faith to eradicate herself from a matrix that on some level was like keeping her imprisoned. I kind of felt it. I was like, there's a kind of genius to this guy. Like, I think in his negative intention, I actually think he's sort of tapped into things that are sort of profound and powerful. And so if you're someone like Sarma, who's lost and confused and you're looking for answers, and there's this captivating guy who's sort of peddling something that has some sort of vein of what we might call spiritual truth, it's, you know, of course, you're you're like a perfect target for this kind of thing, because where's the line? But so also, what does it say about us, like as the viewing audience that we are so fat, like there are now like five or six of these like scam documentaries. And even more, if you think about Nexium and like all of these different things, what I was sort of referring to earlier, my sort of initial hit on it was that it is showing part of our shadow side that we secretly want to indulge in. Like, is there, do you feel any of that? Yeah, well, again, I'm sort of taking them. I mean, because the thing is, they all have different flavors, right? Because let's say like Simon on one end, to me, he's like the sleaziest in a way because he's like sleeping with these women. You know, there's just something that's very kind of sleazy and gross about it. You know, Anna Delvey, she's in a New York socialite world, you know, and then Shane, that really was like this compulsive, like addicty codependent relationship. Each one has its own flavor. So you're kind of speaking though, just to the general trend of these docudramas that are exposing the scams. And so let me just kind of sit with your question for a second. I don't know. There's a couple things that come to me all at once. I think, oh, and if you guys want to watch and amazing. So I know I've been knocking Netflix documentaries this whole time. There is one. I don't even know if it's a good documentary, but it impacted me so deeply on like an emotional intuitive level. I literally vomited when I watched it because it took me somewhere so deep. It freaks me out so much to this day that even saying the title like sends chills up my spine. It's called The Imposter. It 
came out before all of these, but people were still kind of talking about it. It's, I forget the man's name. It's French. Oh God, it's chilling. So basically there's this family in Texas and their blonde hair, blue eyed 12 year old boy goes missing. Okay. Gone. A few years later, a dark haired Frenchman who does not speak fluent English shows up saying, I'm your son. I'm, the, I'm the boy who's been missing all this time. And the family is like, Oh my God, it's him. And they take him in. I, I'm just going to leave it there. There's more plot twists, but basically the documentary is like, spoiler alert, he, he is a con artist and you know this from the beginning. And so it, the documentary is him narrating, you know, how and why he found this family and why he did this. Oh my God. Oh, oh I want to watch it. Is this on Netflix or something else? It was. It was on Netflix. Yeah. When I watched it, this was like probably five years ago. And, uh, yeah, he was just this guy who, uh, he was already kind of playing the French foster system so he was like in his 20s pretending to be young he wanted to be taken care of he was about to get caught and then he like found this family i forget the like all the logistics of how he did it but he was like i'm that boy from texas that's missing and one of the family members flew out like they called the family they're like we think we might have your son one of the family members flew out and they were like yeah it's him and they flew him to texas and suddenly this dark-haired guy in his 20s who doesn't speak fluent english is now living in texas with his reunited family Wow. Well, okay. So I'm aware. I didn't answer your question. So I think there's always something seductive about people who are willing to break the rules, you know? And so I think, yeah, watching because most of us are rule followers and kind of like what I was even talking about with Sarma, you know, being seduced into this, into this construct that sort of challenges you to break free from paradigms. It's like we all, you know, we stand in line, we sign where we're supposed to sign. And I think a lot of that's our morality and, and, and the social contracts we agree to. And I think some of it's fear. You know what I mean? It's like, this is just what we do. So I think when someone comes along, I want to say who has like the balls to just like brazenly break the f- rules, flaunt the system to see them get away with it. I mean, not that they ultimately get away with it, but for a time they get away with it. To me, I, I don't know. It definitely speaks to kind of like, there's a rush from that. There's it's the rule breaker and all. I think all of us have a rule breaker, right? So we want to see like how much can they get away with? How far can they take it? Like what's within the realm of possibility when you kind of color outside the line? So I think there's that kind of like just initial hit of juice off it. But then I think conversely too, there is a way that in the next breath, these documentaries kind of restore order because you, you get to sort of indulge in the juice of the rule breaker. But then it also kind of lets you know, you know, at the end of the day, well, one, they're doing things that really do have a destructive impact. Two, they get caught. In some ways, it sort of makes things safe for us again and we get to feel good. <laughs> you know, being in this matrix that we're all in. And I think kind of like to our initial conversation that kicked this off where we felt some superiority, I think there's also something about being able to watch these and, well, one, learn. You know what I mean? Like, you know, because I'm sure there are people who watch these documentaries and see themselves in... You know, I, I felt that way with Nixium. Like, not now. I, I would not fall for something like Nixium now. I'm not saying I ever would have gone totally into something like Nixium, but I remember watching it and at a time in my life where I was a lot more vulnerable, a lot more willing to defer my power to other people and looking for other people to give me answers and had a lot more self-loathing and a voice in my head that said, everything I do is wrong and needs to be questioned. I could see myself 
being susceptible to these voices coming in saying, we're not the problem, you're the problem. And if you want to get fixed, you better deal with it and we're going to help you deal with it. So I think we can learn from this, you know, and I also think we can feel a little bit satisfied with ourselves that we're not going to be that. What did you think of the Alec Baldwin connection, how he really wanted Sarah and ultimately she wasn't interested and then he winds up marrying Eladia Baldwin, who's another fucking con artist. Well, now there's two things on my mind. Part of what led Sarma to like have a lot of faith in the relationship at first was she talked about there were all these synchronicities, right? And Alec Baldwin was part of the synchronicity. And I really wanted to speak to that. He was like communicating with him on Twitter or something. Yeah. And like she had like met him. I forget now the specifics of it, but. Alec Baldwin was kind of the centerpiece of feeling like there were coincidences that seemed to be kind of winks from the universe nudging her in the direction of this relationship. And you know, he met Eladia at that restaurant. Right. So I just wanted to speak to the, because, because I hear this kind of thing a lot where people are like, yeah, I was in this bad thing, but I felt like, like I was just working with a client recently who was talking about how she can manifest these relationships that in a lot of way feel good to her. But then they go off track, you know, and then it's kind of like she almost wants to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And so what I was saying to her was, no, this makes total sense. It's like, you know what you want, right? So there's a flavor of relationship that you're looking for and you're creating that, but there's something in you that's not willing to let yourself have it in a clean, clear, direct way. Like that's where you're kind of pulling back from full surrender. So it makes total sense that you kind of manifest these situations that are half of what you want, but not all the way. But then what she does is she uses it to question herself. Like she's like, well, clearly I can't trust what I think I want because it always ends badly. And it's like, no, you know what you want. Kind of like what we're talking about. You just manifest a weakened version of it. And then when there are red flags, you don't pay attention to the red flags and you keep going anyway. And then you end up in a bad situation and then you question what you want. And so I guess I'm just saying that because for Sarma and I want to kind of bring this in as a way to offer something of potential value to people who are listening to this. It's like, I don't think we're ever availed, if that's the right word, of our responsibility to honor our own inner knowing. And I think sometimes, kind of like we were talking about, like that first woman in Tindler Swindler, she wanted to believe the fantasy so bad. And I think sometimes what happens is like these things happen that feel so amazing or there's a synchronicity that's sort of leading us in a certain direction and it gives us a hit of what we want. And then we use that as a way to ignore other red flags, other warning signs. And that I just, if I could like say one thing to people listening to this, it's like, don't do that. (laughs) Don't ignore the inner knowing. Don't ignore the red flags. Don't just throw up your hands and say, well, I think this is sort of like what the universe wants of me because in the place where we sometimes have ambivalent relationships to the things we want, we might start manifesting something that feels so spiritually aligned and has all these coincidences. But if there's an unconscious part of us, like Sarma, for example, that's looking to check out, we might be crossing wires between the spiritual part of us that's looking for that unfolding path and the inner demon that's looking to stay stuck in something. So I don't know. I just wanted to say that because I do think a lot of times in these situations, the baby gets thrown out with the bathwater and someone like Sarma might be sitting there being like, this is why... 
I don't trust anything related to like spirituality or synchronicity anymore because it screwed me. And it's like, no, it didn't screw you. You were just so willing to kind of like abdicate everything to that right out of the gate. So I know this is completely not answering your initial question. I just wanted to say this because it really jumped out at me when I was watching that of like, yeah, there were signs that were sort of that she wanted to follow. But she kind of used that as a way to like jump into something that maybe didn't need to be jumped into. You uh, you read the Anna Delvey article, right? The the one um, that was published a few years back uh, in the New Yorker. What did you think of the article, or like what did you think of the story? Since you didn't watch Inventing Anna, I mean, I think because I'm like fresh off of watching Bad Vegan and Tindler Swindler, I was like, okay, <laughs> like at this point, I, I you were like, up oh, another one. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of used to this at this point. I mean, I clearly, you know, as human beings, we're capable of really uh, weird. I think what's interesting to me about all of this, as someone who has not lived his life in those sort of upper, upper kind of rarefied circles where there's just an insane, insane amount of money. I always have this projection that almost like it would be hard to penetrate that world because it feels, pardon the expression, behind the velvet rope. It feels like they'd be very protective. It feels like they'd be on the lookout for scams or things like that. And so I think what strikes me is how easy it seems to be for those people to kind of slip in there and almost how willing, not obviously everyone, but a lot of these people in those worlds are to just kind of take things at face value, to go with the flow. I mean, to me, it almost suggests a certain sensibility in that universe that they are going with the flow. These are people who aren't worrying so much about what they're spending. And there's actually like a vibration. I mean, I I don't mean that in a judgmental way. Like it actually feels very abundant. It's like there's a very abundant vibration there of like, we live large. You know, we spend what we spend. We do what we want to do. And suddenly realizing like, oh, yeah, it makes sense then. So if someone comes in and they're talking the talk and walking the walk, they can certainly exploit this to their benefit in a really easy way. Yeah, that is the crux of what she was able to pull over on all these people and banks like investment banks, like it, the real estate company, like it was, I found in the Anna Delvey story, I would say that is the most compelling to me along with the dropout. I feel like those just like entertainment value wise, like I really enjoyed those stories. There's to me, there's just way more juice to them than the Chandler Swindler and Sarma. Like there's a charismatic something like to the story, like to the people. Well, you also love New York. Well, of course. Yeah. One other thing that I want to say to people listening to this, it's like, you know, because one of the common themes, and this is actually where I, I really did understand the first protagonist of Tindler Swindler. But, you know, one of the main reasons why she bought into, you know, his con was because of going on that private jet, meeting the ex-wife or, you know, the mother of his child. There was the bodyguard. There was the this. There was the that. And I'm just thinking now of other... They talked a lot in the Anna Delvey article about like, oh, well, I hung out with Anna Delvey and she was with this person. She was with that person. It, it, people get credibility, right? And it even reminds me of there's this amazing Dutch movie called The Vanishing. It's a fictional movie, but it involves a kidnapping. And I always just think of this moment where right before the woman, the guy kidnaps her. Somehow he asks for help 
with something to do with his car. And it's amazing because you see her hesitate. She has kind of the, what I would call the natural hesitation that a lot of us would have to like help a stranger. And she looks in his car and on his dashboard is a photo of him with like his wife and his baby daughter. And you see something soften in her. And so she assumes, okay, he's a normal guy and she goes and helps him. And so then he kidnaps her. Anyways, the reason why I'm just saying this is it's again, just to come back to what is a simple message, but I just can't stress this enough. Don't ever override your own intuition. It just feels as simple as that. And I just, I see this all the time. I think especially when we're not conditioned to trust our own intuition or we, yeah, we grew up in environments where our voices were second guessed or our sense of inner knowing was second guessed. People will often look for reasons and excuses to second guess their right to follow their own impulse. And I just feel like, I, I don't, I can't put a number to it, but let's just say 85% of the time, I just feel like so many painful situations could be avoided if people were willing to take seriously that voice in them that says something's not right here and not use outside information like, oh, but look who that person's friends with, or oh, but they're a husband, they're a wife, they're a mother. And instead, trust that your system's telling you something. And maybe that doesn't mean you have to like completely banish them from your life or take dramatic action, but to be mindful, to be aware and to be careful. And then, yeah, if something comes up where suddenly this person you have a weird feeling about is asking you for a lot of money or putting you in a certain situation to really take in that you haven't had a 100% great feeling about this person the entire time. You've talked about how you're always the first person to say like, yeah, something's off with that guy. Something's off mm-hmm. with that. Have you ever been wrong? Okay. So what I will say about this, I mean, I, I experienced that question on sort of two levels. So I feel like where I may have been wrong, even then I wouldn't say it was wrong, where I may have been too quick to judge, I think in terms of like on a personality level, if I experience someone a certain way, or I take in certain aspects of their personality or their energy in a certain way, and maybe come to premature conclusions about that being most of who they are or close to all of who they are. And that's someone who I wouldn't like or be friends with. I think there've been times in my life, particularly when I was younger, where I'd be wrong about that. And if I were willing to give them more of the benefit of the doubt, other flavors emerge, or there's kind of a deeper context for their behavior where I understand it better and more. And it has a different impact on me than, you know, my initial first impression. That said, on another level, if we're really talking here about those times where something genuinely feels off, something doesn't add up, I just don't believe what someone is saying. No, I don't I don't think I've ever been wrong about that. And there have been situations too that I mean I'm not going to go into details because it would kind of be very obvious yeah. who I was talking about to anyone who happens to know those people. But no, no yeah. there have been situations where I've really like and I and I guess I want to say this, you know, as a comfort to other people who maybe struggle to embrace their own intuition, you know, particularly in opposition to an outside voice that might be coming in saying, what are you talking about? That person's great. Like Mm -hmm. there just have been so many situations where I've been that guy saying something's off here. And these are the telltale signs. And, you know, other people saying, I don't, what do you mean? What are you talking about? And then, you know, it comes out, the expose comes out about their fraudulent business or what they stole from the other person. I mean, 
So in that sense, no, I don't think yeah. I've ever been wrong. So we were giving recommendations before. You recommended the the vanishing and the imposter. Well, let's end on this note. I want to recommend. Have you watched the documentary called Kumare? No. Have you heard of this? This guy was a documentarian who was making a documentary on yoga instructors and their followers. And in the middle of making that, he comes up with the idea to impersonate a like to create a character almost in the style of like a Borat, like to become a fictional guru. Kumare is like the name of the fictional guru who he invents. And then he turns his whole movie into this. So you see him like, I can't believe these people are buying it. He winds up at first. It's like five people like he's pretending and he's making up stuff like he's making up like yoga positions. He's making up all like all of this language around it. And it grows to the point where he's taking people on retreats, but he's in control of the whole thing because he's a documentarian. He's a filmmaker. He just wanted to see how far people would believe this act like that are looking for a guru. They're going to find one, whether it's real or not. Exactly. So I just can't recommend this enough. It's called Kumare. And I think it's on, I don't know, Amazon. Just people should watch this. It's very entertaining. Well, and also going back to your question about why do we like these kinds of stories or these docudramas or docuseries, you know, I think part of it, too, is that they do exploit or shine a light on not areas of weakness, but they kind of point out where our structures are failing, where the themes are a little frayed. They kind of show the weak points in the system. Sometimes when a security, a new security system is being installed or that you hire a security expert, like the first thing they do is they find the weak spots of the current security system. I feel like these stories sort of shine a light on where we're really susceptible. I think both in terms of like ourselves and our inner landscape, but also kind of as a culture or a society, where is the security system weak? You know, where are we susceptible to be conned, to be taken advantage of? Because you're right. It's like something like that does really shine a light on guru culture. And we've had a lot of that. And I would say, what was that one called? Wild Country? You know, that was another one of these. I mean, they weren't quite con artists in the same way. I mean, Osho was actually brilliant, but, you know, it was an, it's, it's that spirit of something's being used to seduce people and it's going wrong, you know, somewhere along the way it's going wrong. So yeah, we just have these opportunities to really look at where do we become fallible and susceptible to, to criminal minds that maybe don't have our best interests at heart, you know, just to kind of put a fine point on this notion of trusting your intuition. And I think in a way to maybe broaden this out just from the world of the con artist or the swindler, because I mean, look, truth be told, most of us aren't going to end up in such larger than life situation. But, you know, when I keep thinking about this notion of trusting your intuition and not looking for reasons to disown your own intuition, I keep thinking back to this situation that um, I witnessed several years ago where I was out in the desert, kind of communal weekend gathering. And, you know, I knew a lot of the people there, you know, casually more or less, but they were people who I'd kind of spent time with out in the desert over the years. And I remember at one point there was a young woman who was 
what appeared to me like coupled off with a young man who I, the young man was someone who I had been casually friends with. And we were all kind of talking and joking around. And like I said, you know, to my perception, this young woman and this young man seemed very kind of into each other. It seemed very touchy feely. It seemed very playful. I thought they were into each other. And what was so interesting was that later it came out, the young woman finally kind of came forward and confided that actually she wasn't interested in him and that he was actually being really sort of overbearingly flirtatious with her and kind of being overly bearingly physical with her. And she didn't like it and she was finding it creepy. And, you know, as we talked to her about it, basically what came out was she was finding him creepy, but she was questioning her right to say anything or her right to have that assessment because she saw that everyone else liked the guy like that he was friends with so many people in this community mm-hmm. and she figured well if everyone likes him he must be a good guy yet i just say this as another example of ways that we can use external information to turn against our own inner knowing and you know i just want to say it's unfortunately a reality in our world and in our lifetimes that there are a lot of people who do destructive bad things who also have great friends, you know, and family members who love them and who maybe are really successful in the world. We live in a world that is largely shut down and doesn't want to take in information. And so it is very easy for a lot of people who do harmful and destructive things to seem like they are sometimes pillars of the community. And I Again, I just, I I guess at the risk of repeating myself, I just really, really want to stress to people like honor your inner knowing, honor your inner knowing. And I really can say that is something I always do. And I don't care who it is, how respected they are in the community. If something in me is saying there's something off with this person, you can bet your bottom dollar. I will never be in a room alone with them. I will tell you that I will never be in a room alone with them. And I think one last thing to say, you know, you would ask me, like, have you ever been wrong? And look, maybe there would be times where I'm wrong, but I'd still rather be wrong and find out I'm wrong than ignore it and then realize I was actually right and I should have listened. Great way to end. Any other, I don't know, final thoughts about bad vegan Tinder swindler? No, I think we said it all. Well, I do think you should check out the dropout and but there's a documentary on that as well that came out a few years ago so you can just watch the documentary and be done okay. it's interesting it, it's it's a different flavor of this stuff look i love I, I look i love these stories so yeah you, and, should, and- you should watch the 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 documentary yeah i mean the scripted series is good but it's just like so many episodes <laughs> is it a netflix script i just i don't know it's no 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 it's, it's hulu it's hulu all of those i'm sorry i just i generally speaking these scripted series on these streaming services are not the best shows i'm just saying i gotta watch better what about in just like that on hbo max (laughs) which i did you you conned me speaking of cons you conned me into watching one episode i made you did i what did you watch the episode where che diaz finger banged miranda in the kitchen is that the one yeah and you didn't con me into it i actually i willingly because everyone (laughs) was talking about it i wanted to watch an episode and i asked you which episode i should watch and you referred to you in the right direction you did it was it was it was i mean it, it was, was an experience <laughs> it was mostly just boring i was surprised how boring it was okay just where can people find you you can follow me on instagram jessxnyc and my podcast is hot takes and deep dives i've had jamie on there a lot so yeah check that out check out the episode where jamie talks all about his time working on the real world as an editor as an associate what was your title 
Uh, well, my technical title, like that would be on IMDb or something, I think is associate editor, but we were called loggers. Yes. I was a logger, a night logger, yes. a night logger, not even a daytime logger. I was a dirty night logger. That was a great, great episode. So yeah, you can check that out. Um, I've done a lot of stuff with Jamie. So head over there, hot takes and deep dives. And and celebrities like Rosie O'Donnell and Isaac Mizrahi. Oh, and yeah, yeah you know, it's every, you should definitely check out Jess's podcast if you haven't already. Follow me on Instagram, Jamie Stein, J-A-M-I-E-S-T-E-I-N. And go to my website if you're interested in my work, hollywoodreadings.com. And I'll see you guys next time. Bye.